Unleash the most powerful Pixel ever on the network chosen by Google. Verizon Pixel 3 has more than just any camera. It takes group selfies, snaps, and portrait mode and helps you always pick the perfect moment with Top Shot, which automatically recommends the best picks where no one is blinking and everything looks just right. And the Pixel 3 also has the power of Google Lens, which means you can search what you see. And when you get the Pixel 3 on Verizon, it comes with America's best network. Visit your local Verizon store today or learn more at po.st slash the ringer. Again, that's po.st slash the ringer. This episode is also brought to you by an all new season of the Showtime original series, Ray Donovan, starring Leif Schreiber, John Voight, and Susan Sarandon. LA's favorite fixer has left Hollywood behind, but is still putting his unique set of skills to work for the powerful and corrupt in New York City. That's exciting. I love this show. Uh, political maneuvering, dirty cops, and family turmoil threaten to drag him down, but Ray always finds a way to get what he needs for himself and his clients. Don't miss the premiere of Ray Donovan Sunday, October 28th at 9 o'clock only on Showtime and now GM Street. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Tuesday. It is October 23rd, and I am joined by Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? Week 7, the G-Men go down. There is turmoil in New York. The Big Blue Nation is going crazy. People are pointing fingers all over the place. And Monday Night Football was quite a joy for us last night. But uh, first off, how are you? I'm great, Tate Frazier. I, I don't understand the Giants fans' indifference. I mean, their, their belief that this team was good. I mean, the reality of it is, is you know, their quarterback's past his prime. They drafted a running back, which historically shows that they don't win games. They're great players, but don't win games. Their defense isn't anywhere where it needs to be. I mean... I had a sign in my office uh, when I worked for the Raiders, and I think it applies to the Giants. It says it, it was by Eric Shinsky of the United States Army. It said, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. And I think the Giants are irrelevant. I think they refuse to change. You know, they hire Ernie Acorsi to come in and lead the search, which surprisingly led them to Dave Gettleman, which surprisingly made them keep the, all their front office and everybody intact. And John Maris running the team, and that's what they want, and this is what they have. So... I don't know why anybody's surprised. I don't think many people are surprised, especially those that were trying to uh, objectively observe uh, what this Giants team would be. They lose last night 23-20. to They have now lost 20 of their last 24 games. I'd, I'd even take a second look at that as I was looking at it. Um, 20 of the last 24. Uh, last night, the big story, though, was so they were down 14 points. Uh, they're in a weird spot right now, Giants fans. You know, people are all over the place trying to see if this was a smart decision. Uh, so they were down 14 points. Shermer um, decided to go for a two-point conversion at the time uh, to cut the lead to six. We saw uh, a couple weeks ago, Doug Peterson did this. This this all comes back to uh, analytics, a little bit of game theory here. People, uh, basically, you increase your chances to to win the game. You play the 50-50 game with the two-point conversion on the front end instead of playing the 50-50 game with overtime. That's pretty much the angle on this. So people are saying that Shermer made a smart decision by doing this. You know, it is based in analytics. And and I just have to ask you, Lombardi, I mean, obviously people are getting upset and pointing fingers and and, and all that stuff that you expect to, to see when people lose. But was this a smart decision for Shermer? Is this a positive thing to see uh, if you were a Giants fan? And even if it doesn't work out, if it was the right decision and it was in the right place is that a good place to be or uh does it not matter because again you're one in six and one of the worst teams in football look i I don't think you can't argue going for the two was a bad call the numbers support that it gives you a 91 percent chance of winning the game okay and then even if you don't get it you have an opportunity to get it again to tie the score so you're kind of in shape i think the numbers support it i 
didn't I didn't agree with what 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 Mike Vrabel did because I think there was extenuating circumstances to that. We'll talk about that later in the podcast. But I, I don't have a problem with going for two. I think people are focused on the wrong thing. I think the problem is you got the ball first and ten at your own fourteen with one forty eight to go in the game, or mm-hmm. I think some one forty and change, right? That you got the ball at the fourteen. You have to throw the ball three times in the end zone. You throw it three times in the end zone. If you score a touchdown, great. If you don't, you've burned basically 15 seconds off the clock. You cannot throw it in bounds. There's no, if you throw it in bounds, the guy's got to get out of bounds. So it's got to be either sideline passes or in the end zone incomplete or touchdown. Mm. You throw it three times. If you don't make it, you kick the field goal. Now you have about a minute 20 to go. You, you onside kick, it gives you enough time to come back down the field and score perhaps a touchdown to tie the game. But what they did was they throw the six-yard check down, they ball 30 seconds like Jason Garrett did in Washington, throwing a nine-yard pass and losing 34 seconds. To me, this is where the mismanagement, and this is where Giant fans should raise their biggest concern, not the two-point play. The two-point play has theory behind it in terms of analytics, in terms of win percentage. I get it. I understand it. I don't get the mismanagement of the two-minute drill. That, to me, is criminal. And when you've got the ball in that position, just like the Cowboys had the ball in their game, Cowboys had the ball at the Redskins' 46-yard line with 52 seconds left to go. My man over there, the clapper, he doesn't call offense, he doesn't call defense, he doesn't call special teams. He manages the game, and somehow he mismanages the game. He went to Princeton, they crazy. You know he's smart. Somehow he mismanages the game to where they run three plays in 52 seconds and they miss the field goal. And it gets back to uh, a situation we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast, which is those last two minutes, uh, either in the second half and obviously at the end of the game, um, being smart and, and understanding a situation and understanding you don't want to give a guy like Matt Ryan and that Falcons team uh, the football back to give them a chance to get momentum going into the half, even though some people don't necessarily believe in momentum. I've heard that before now uh, plenty of times. But but it d- does cause uh, some sort of uh, reservations if you're a Giants fan. I want to talk about uh, not the two-point conversion, I want to talk about the QB sneaks um, because I think that is sort of uh, a, ca- a calling card that you can see a problem with what was going on with decisions that were made internally. There was actually a nice shot. Um, I'm sure the Bugmobile caught this, but there was a nice shot of Shermer at one point in this game on fourth down where uh, he goes, what? Why not throw to Odell from the sideline? So there, there was frustration right, back that, and that, forth. That fourth down play, I think that, that caption, now they didn't talk about it on ESPN, but that caption right there to me, was the essence of really what Pat Summer thinks of his team, of what he thinks of his quarterback. I think, you know, you've seen it. You saw it in the Giants-Eagle game, and they cut away from the camera. He denied it. But not throwing that pass on the, on the dash where they had the perfect play call that would have been a score had Eli thrown it was exactly what you say. All the Eli defenders, oh, they can all shut up. They can all just shut up because it, he scored 20 points against the worst defense in football. I think the Alabama quarterback would have scored 20 points against the Atlanta's defense. Okay? Like, it's a joke. Like, the guy, it's done. It's over. It's, it's done. Just accept it. Accept it and move on. But we're having a hard time accepting a lot of things in the NFL, and the Giants won't. I feel for Pat Shermer because he's in a really tough spot. And then he goes and doubles down and mismanages that two-minute drill. I mean, here's Bill Parcells, whether he stayed awake for it or not. But Parcells is one of the curators of game management. Brilliant at it, right? Those giant uniforms used to be good at game management. It's a disgrace. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it last night. So basically, for people that didn't see it, they were down 23-12. to 12. 
Uh, they're running the two-minute drill. 45 seconds left on the clock. No timeouts at this point. Uh, Shermer even said before, he had a couple weeks ago where he wanted he, he had timeouts going into the half and he didn't want to be in that situation again. Uh, <laughs> that did not play out well in this game, so they have no timeouts at this point. 45 seconds. They run a quarterback sneak. Uh, Eli is stuffed. They're on the one-yard line. Atlanta's one. They, they get stuffed on first down. Um, and now the clock's running. Clock's ticking. Most people are probably expecting a, a pass to Odell at this point. They double down and Shermer and Eli go for it again and try to get another QB, QB sneak. Clock continues to tick down. Uh, and then he throws a touchdown, a, a beautiful pass that OBJ catches. But uh, at the end of the day, there's only five seconds remaining. Uh, they convert the two-point conversion with the second time. Saquon runs in 23-20. to 20. Again, there's only five seconds left on the clock. So it, it, it comes down to clock management. Even Andy Reid uh, was embarrassed by what was going on here with uh, with this Giants team. It had to be, right? I mean, yeah. take place, like, at some point, when the ball's on the 14, you got to practice that situation. You know, it's a situation in practice. I'm sure if a, if they're really good head coaches in the NFL and they observed it, and if you're going through all the situations and you have a guy clipping them out like most good teams do, you see this. Okay, it's first and 10, the ball's at the 14. So this week in practice in your game management period, put the ball in the 14, no timeouts left, 140 to go in the game, first and 10 at the 14. you got three calls to get the ball in the end zone. And you tell the coordinator, coordinator, look, there's no checkdowns here. Can't throw the ball inbounds. You got to throw it in the end zone or throw it outside. So whatever calls you make, they better be in there or else you're going to cost us the game. And then go from there. You practice it. You just don't run. And they didn't do it. They didn't understand it. They got in this situation, and you got to kick the field goal. You're going to, you need two scores. It's an onside kick game. This is what drives me crazy about the announcers on television. At some point, fans need to know that most executives sitting in their seats are thinking, we want to make this an onside kick game. That's all I thought about. How do we get enough points to make it an onside kick game? I mean, what I saw when the Saints played this, Sean Payton so far ahead of everybody else, it's comical. Sean Payton's got a 20-17 a to 17 lead. He gets the ball back, makes some great plays. Uh, no, I'm sorry, he's got a 21-17 lead. He makes, they stop the Ravens. He, the first play out of the gate, he's trying to score because he knows a four-point lead isn't good enough. He knows he needs to get three or seven. He drives it down the field. He's trying to get seven points. He's not sitting on the clock. He's running his offense. That's what you have to do in football. And and most people just won't do it. And one quick note on that game. So Sean Payton goes down, they get the field goal, they get a seven-point lead. And you're thinking to yourself, well, the Ravens have Justin Tucker. He has made 222 straight uh, extra points. It's going to be fine. Looks like it's going to be an overtime-type situation. Misses the extra point early in the game, and then, you know, here we are. They lose the game. You know what I mean? It comes back to that situation again where, uh, you know, Sean Payton outwits the Ravens and something that doesn't seem like uh, based on what past performance and what you expect from Justin Tucker, it happens. He misses the uh, extra point, and, and the Saints come away with the win. But that's how you have to approach the game. Like, no lead safe. You can't win. You can't win with just your defense. Nobody's winning with their defense. Nobody's good enough on defense to win with it. You gotta help your offense score to win with it. And I think that's what happens. And I think that's one game there. You know, when you sit well, I think did I think Justin Tucker was gonna miss it? Hell no. Did I think Drew Brees was gonna lead him back for a field goal? Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought he would. I think the Saints two minute defense needs a lot of work. They made the trade for Eli Apple today. They needed another corner desperately. They need they're playing way more zone, they're playing way smarter in how they approach things. I think the Saints are a sleeping giant. I know they're one of the best teams in the league, but nobody's really talked about them. We're gonna see them. Sunday night up in Minnesota, which would be a great game. 
And you mentioned that trade. We'll give you the details of that. So the New Orleans Saints, uh, this just got reported. They made a trade, uh, a fourth-round pick in 2019 and a seventh-round pick. Uh, this is being reported by Ian Rappaport in, uh, in 2020. So they trade for Eli Apple, a guy that played at Ohio State with Marshawn Lattimore, another guy they have on their team. So on that back end, they, they try to sure it up. There were some rumors that they were trying to trade for Patrick Peterson. Uh, Steve Wilkes came out and said that uh, Peterson is not on uh, the trade block, despite what he is leaking from his camp that he would like to be traded out of Arizona. So the Saints kind of, they they reach for the stars with Peterson. Doesn't look like that was going to work out. Uh, so now they settle with Eli Apple. And this could be a situation where Apple gets in, in a winning culture, in a winning situation, and they they tap into that potential a little bit. And, and we'll see what happens. If, if the Saints can sure up the back end of that defense, then they really are a team to contend with. Uh, even though, like you said, they, they already are. Yeah. They really do. And they, and they put all their chips in the middle of the table. I mean, make no bones about it. I mean, Brees is on another year left on the contract. I mean, the Saints are proactive. I mean, they trade for Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, by the way, didn't we say that Jackson also trade for Teddy Bridgewater? No, never mind. Never mind that. <laughs> anyway, but they put all their chips to the table, and I think that's smart. I think he sees this. Look, those draft picks, you can recoup some of those picks later, trade down in the second round. I mean, Belichick's made a living of doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Davenport gives him a pass rusher. I think that same team is set up pretty well because they've got the offense. That offensive line is so good. Their offensive line knocks people off the ball. They can play physical. They can run the ball. He's a great play caller. I like the Saints. I like the move. I'm not in love with Elon Apple, but they needed somebody back there. Hopefully they can coach him up. And that was a win-now decision. So the Saints now don't have a first round next year because of the Davenport trade. They don't have a third round because of the Bridgewater trade that you mentioned. Now they don't have a fourth round because of the Eli Apple trade. But again, they have Drew Brees. They have Michael Thomas. They have Kamara. They have all these stars, and they uh, have the mentality that they want to win now. You're talking about a team that wants to go for and play for the future. Um, that is the Oakland Raiders. And the Oakland Raiders, they were in the news again because they made uh, a pretty big trade, a blockbuster trade that we did not think was uh, possible, especially for the value. But they traded uh, their top receiver a guy that they had uh, drafted a few years ago, Amari Cooper, to the Cowboys uh, for a first-round pick. So they were able to get uh, another first-round pick, so now they have three first-round picks. Uh, John Gruden said he was very excited about that. The 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 quote that he had, this is from uh, Chris Mortensen, um, he said, I hate to see good players go. Uh, I was on the practice field when Reggie, Reg McKenzie, the GM, came by and said the Cowboys would do a first, and I said, let's do it. We now have five number one picks in the next two years, um, so he's excited about that. You know, Obviously, if you're on a 10-year contract, you are playing for the future. I kind of want to work our way back here and talk about more about uh, the value for what the Cowboys Cowboys got the Cowboys have uh, traded for wide receivers with first round picks before the last two times they did that uh, it was Roy Williams and the time before that it was Joey Galloway we've seen Percy Harvin get traded for a first round pick remember Randy Moss got traded for a first round pick Cooks is another guy the Rams traded a first round pick for Cooks as well um, the Patriots did as well also um, but but just looking at that and talking about the value of a first round pick for Amari Cooper I mean was this a smart decision for the Cowboys or, or was this a, like almost a panic decision uh, after losing to Washington? You know, I don't, I don't, you know, people have a perception. I heard last night that both the guys thought Amari Cooper's a great player. I don't know if either one has watched Amari Cooper lately. Amari Cooper's not a great player. His burst, his hands are inconsistent. You know, and I said this on GM Street before, his love of the game is certainly in question. I think the Cowboys were really desperate. I, I think this wasn't a courageous move. I think it was a desperate move. But I think they're compounded. And if I were Jerry Jones, I would have said, if I was working for Jerry, I would have said, Jerry, I wouldn't make this trade. But if you're going to make this trade, see if you can get a lottery protected. See if you can convince the Raiders that if we're picking 15 or lower, you get the pick. If we're picking 14 or higher, you don't get the pick, I'll give you a two. Okay? Would the Raiders have said no to that? I probably don't think they would because the best offer they had on the table was two from the Eagles, which is really essentially a third. 
And if he wouldn't do that, now, now that I gave away my wand, then the next conversation I would have with Jerry Jones, I walk in his office and I would say, look, we've got to minimize our risk here. So we better sign a quarterback, a backup quarterback, because if, if Dak Prescott gets hurt, we're going to end up with a top five pick. There's just no way around it. And we're going to end up with a top five pick. We're not good enough on offense, with, but if he gets hurt, we're going to have a top five pick. So maybe we should trade for Sam Bradford. Maybe we should take on somebody else because Cooper Rush isn't going to be the answer. So what he should be doing right now is how can I maximize that I don't pick in the top 14? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do to this team? And the number one thing he needs to do is get a backup quarterback because if Prescott gets hurt, he's picking high. I don't like the deal. I think Amari Cooper's overrated. I think his hands are questionable. But now that it's done, I think they should try to work his way through to try to minimize exactly the risk. They won't, but they should. And Amari Cooper on the season, 22 receptions, 280 receiving yards, and a touchdown. My question to you is, uh, there was another guy that you've seen uh, in New England uh, who's become a part of the offense, has sort of grown into it, and that has the talent to be an elite receiver. We both understand that and know that. But Josh Gordon, as a guy, you know, he's got 241 yards, two touchdowns this season, and the Patriots gave up a fifth round for him. And there were talks that Dallas was in the market for Josh Gordon at the time. So uh, it, it seems like they could have. It seems like there was other value they could they could have given up less to maybe get a, a similar type player, but th- they waited it out and now they they had to give up a first rounder for Mari Cooper. There there was no reports that the Colts um, officially were willing to give up a first, but apparently that was the reason why the Cowboys uh, went ahead and and, and offered the up. The Colts a first. are never going. The Colts know they're not any good. The Colts know they're going to have a top ten pick, top twelve. The Colts aren't giving up a lottery pick for Amari Cooper. They're just not going to do it. They might give up a two for Amari Cooper. They're not going to give up a one. Mm-hmm. They're not going to give up that pick. And so it's really, the NBA's taught us this. You've got to protect your picks. You know, and so if you don't do it, you're stupid. And the fact is the Cowboys have been on this search for a number one receiver. And so they toss that term around, number one receiver, like they, they grow on streets, like they're, you know, they're, they're bed, you know, I'm in Ocean City, Benny's Gritty makes 5,000 loads a day. Like there's that many number one receivers. You're just going to have Benny's to get a number one receiver, right? So mm-hmm. good luck, okay? There aren't. Amari Cooper's not a number one receiver. He's not even a number one receiver. So the reality of it is, is they're still looking for a number one receiver. Is he better than anyone they have? Yeah. They got fortunate that Sammy Watkins didn't take the deal because you know what? Hey, Frazier, Sammy Watkins is not a number one receiver either. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think to me the Cowboys are, you know, look, the, the clapper is convincing them that this is they got to go. They're not a good team. They're not a good offense. And, you know, they messed up too many things. They don't. Their offensive line isn't anywhere near it needs to be. And you know, I think they're nine and they could be eight and eight, nine and seven. Maybe that keeps them out of the lottery. I'm sure it does. But if they're six and ten, whoa, watch out, bro. Yeah, we're going to be in a tough situation. And you mentioned the clapper. Someone, uh, a fan, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but someone reached out to us and said that we should call Sherman the clocker. I thought that's pretty good. The clapper and the clocker. We'll, we'll keep working on all these new games in the NFC. I mean, I, but I, you know what? I'm not hard on Pat Shermer because. I think what fans don't really understand is the plight that he's under. You know, he's dealing with an aging quarterback, he's dealing with an organization that that doesn't realize they're four and twenty over the last twenty four games. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with an organization that's won thirty two games over the last. They've had one winning record over the last five years. Like, I don't think I think he's in a really hard spot. I think it, you could. I think it's really unfair to him. And that's why I've kind of have a nicknamed him because I think it's. I, I I feel for the guy. I think he's in an impossible situation. There's really the front office there is unrealistic. They have they really are out of touch with reality. 
And there, it should be noted that as far as play calling, I think Shermer's calling a game that maybe is not catered to Eli Manning because he's coaching and calling a game how he wants to call it. I mean, him calling two QB sneaks down there, Ben McAdoo never called a QB sneak for Eli Manning. Coughlin, that was not his thing either. So he was calling, he's calling his own game on what he knows on football, but it's not necessarily calling an Eli Manning game. So you, you can't really judge him on that because he's, he's just trying yeah, here's to call the thing. it like he I mean, sees all the people would say that. Let, let's just, who's calling an Eli Manning? Unless you're throwing check downs, what, what, what flows you can make? Now, football out there? Yeah, okay, good. But good luck. Okay, that was the, the worst defense in football. Let's talk about uh, a guy that's under a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny. And you, you talked about the pressure of being a head coach. And we saw, uh, even in a press conference this week, Bill O'Brien came out and said, it is hard to win in the NFL. That is something we both know here on GM Street. Uh, a guy that likes to remind us that he is the head coach and that he would like to win football games uh, is Huey Headlines. Uh, and Hugh Jackson is, is back back on it uh, this week after uh, another Overtime game. Um, oh, this is the fourth time they've been Another in overtime. overtime loss. Another yes, overtime ahead. loss where it seemed like they had a real chance to win this game. A, a punt in almost plus territory. They could turn things around, but uh, Jameis Winston and the Buccaneers go down and get their first win. The interesting thing about this game in Tampa also, three number one picks out there. Jameis Winston, of course, Miles Garrett, Baker Mayfield, uh, all down there. And Carl Nassib, a guy that we remember from Hard Knocks, ended up making uh, the, the big play, the big sack. Uh, get some, get Carl some sacks. Carl Nassib kicked their ass. He was good all day. He kicked their ass. He, he was, he was after Hugh in that game. He was after Greg Williams in that game. Look, Hugh's the master of PR. Hugh's the guy that you know. And I, I've said this story before. I was the but you know, you work as a bartender, and the one bartender tells the owner, "Look, that guy's stealing." So, so that the owner pays attention to him. This is what all Hugh does. Hugh comes out of press conference and says, "Well, I'm going to have to take a look at the offense." Okay, Hugh, calm out. This way, nobody's mentioned how he screwed up the end of the half and didn't take the three points, right? <laughs> like, just take the three points at the end of the half, you, you win the game. But he, nobody's even written about that. Nobody questions his end-of-the-game management, which is a disaster. Nobody questions that, you know, when you have the ball in field goal, there's certain parts of the field, we talked about this all the time on TMC, you can't take a sack. You can take a sack when, it's your, when you're at, the, at your opponent's 12-yard line and you're holding the ball like Eli Manning did last night waiting for somebody to get open because they rushed three guys. You can take that sack. That's no problem with me. You take that sack all day long. Hold the ball. I know there were guys open because Eli refused to throw it, but that's another story. But here's the master at creating another situation so you never look at the main issue. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what he's really doing here. Diversions. Okay, Hugh. Yeah, diversions. Okay, here's what I really want to know. And this is what fucking ESPN should do a documentary on. They should take their cameras and follow Hugh. I want to know what the fuck Hugh does from Monday morning until the kickoff. Because if he's not calling offense, if he's not calling defense, what is he doing in the office? Like, if he has a problem with Todd Haley in the offense, just walk in the room and say, Todd, look, this week I want to double move Brett Grimes. This week I want to go after Vernon Hargraves. You know, this week we better make sure we take care of Nassif. He knows how we handle it. Okay, I want to double Nassif. I want to go after that. I don't want to run this place. I don't want to run this team. I want to run this. That's what a head coach does. And then on Wednesday after practice, okay? Yeah. God, mm-hmm. I don't like that shit. I don't like that play. I want to run this. I don't like that. Run that. I like this stuff. Run that. I don't want to call that. Take mm-hmm. that out. Put this in. That's what a head coach does. That's called being a head coach. That's what you do. Then you tell the same thing on defense. Hey, Greg, I don't want to zero pressure here. Like, you don't just give them carte blanche. And then after the game, throw them under the bus. You're an offensive coordinator. You're supposed to know this shit. You watch Wednesday's practice. You watch Thursday's practice. You watch Friday's practice. I promise you, 
the, the Browns that run one play in that game that they didn't practice. But nobody's calling Huey out. Huey, didn't you see that at practice on the tape? Of course not. That's Huey. He's the best at it. Maybe. I mean, he's the greatest. He's, he's so good that he's the only coach in fucking football who's got a, a plus three turnover takeaway and he's one, one, and one. I mean, think about it. He's a magician. He's the greatest. <laughs> I like to think he's just staring uh, at himself in a mirror in his office just saying, I'm the head coach. I'm the head coach. But Billy asked Get himself me the other day. Up. That's a great question. Billy asked me the other day. She said, how does he have himself fooled when after one year he fired you? Mm. Like, one year I got fired. Trent Richardson. Maybe, you know, Mingo was a bad pick. Okay, we did some stupid things. Had some good players. Okay, all right. Got fired. Huey is like on display every day is incompetent. And yet he keeps him. Like, I, get, I, I, I don't understand. I'm confused. I think it's more of a... Uh, I think Haslam is, is in the Jerry uh, vein of NFL ownership at this point. You know, I think he he's in charge, right? They're, they're making those decisions. And if you have someone that's going to agree with your decisions and can, you can call the shots, then that's how the world works sometimes with, with, with some of these things. And good, I mean, good, good on you. Don't you think Todd Haley went in his office on Monday morning and said, Hey, you can throw me under the bus one more time. It, uh, it's over with for us. Well, like, if you got any problem with what we're doing here, man, speak up. Like, just tell me what you want. You're the head coach. Just tell me, don't be, don't be sitting there at the press conference talking shit. Like, don't throw me under the bus. I'll throw your ass under the bus when I get out of here. Don't you think that conversation's happening? Absolutely. And I think if you're Todd Haley, right, you got to go to Hugh and say, well, why don't you call the plays this week, right? Put it back, put the ball back in his court. And Hugh already came out and said he's not going to do that. Right, of course not. He's got Al Saunders, who's his, who's his spy. Al Saunders is 127 years old, okay? He's sitting there. He's been on every team in the league, right? A, a nice man, wonderful man. You know, everywhere he's been, you know, he's, but he's Huey's guy. He's Huey's guy. He's in there to spy for Huey to tell Huey what's going on in the meeting. Right? Yeah. So, like, tell Al Saunders what you want. Like, tell somebody what you want Monday through Saturday. Like, I want to know what you does Monday through Saturday. I really want to know. Like, what is he doing? We should have kept the hard like, knocks cameras there. Just have like, a cam. I would love to give Huey an exam. Five questions, okay? If you could answer these five questions right now, you'd be the head coach of the, of the, of the Browns next week, okay? You're getting ready to play Pittsburgh this week. Who's the L4 on the punt team? He won't know. <laughs> who's the L4? I mean, who's the L4 on the kickoff team? He won't know. He won't know. Tell me the strength and weaknesses of the fourth quarter on Pittsburgh. He won't know. Mm. But if I gave that test to Belichick, he would have every answer. Now, there's the difference. And Sean Payton would probably have an answer, and McVeigh, and you can go of down the list. Would. Yes. Of course, he would. Sean Payton's sitting there trying to coach his team. He's the head coach. That's what head coaches do, Tate Frazier. They just don't sit back and say, you know, I don't like the way we're running this. You ran it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. You ran it every day. Mm hmm. And somehow nobody runs shit. Yeah. Nobody runs shit on Sunday that they haven't rehearsed at some point during the season. Like they just don't. Like we're not in the backyard and you're drawing plays in the dirt. Yeah, to put it in Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen terms, you're you're not going to just debut a new song if you haven't practiced it with the band, right? You're just you're going to play the hits. No, 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 like there's no way. I mean, play you the can hits. just ask Little Stevie. They play it a million times before they do it. All right, Lombardi. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about Red Dead Redemption Two. Rockstar Games, creators of the critically acclaimed and record-breaking Grand Theft Auto series, are back with their latest blockbuster, Red Dead Redemption 2. Red Dead Redemption 2 is an epic tale of honor and loyalty set in the dying days of America's outlaw era and told across the deepest and most expansive Rockstar world to date. Set in 1899, you play as Arthur Morgan, senior enforcer of the notorious Vanderlyn Gang, 
They are a group of outlaws on the run as they rob, fight, and steal their way across America in order to survive. As Rockstar's first game built completely from the ground up for the latest generation of hardware, Red Dead Redemption 2 uses the power of the new consoles to create an experience that's not just open, but deeper, more immersive, and more interactive than ever. Experience a new kind of story as you live the life of an outlaw, Arthur Morgan in Red Dead Redemption 2, on sale October 26th for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Pre-order now at rockstargames.com slash Redemption 2 rated M for Mature. And that's not it. We're also brought to you by G Suite, a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. These tools improve your work life, both in terms of your experience and the outputs you create. Hence their new campaign, Make It with G Suite. Producer Jim's always making it with G Suite. You know when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled Final and no clue which is the latest, so you make another version and name that one Final Final, right? Well, with G Suite uh, by Google Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail, Docs, and Slides let you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of a version after version of a project. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. To find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. That's gsuite.com. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. And now, back to GM Street. Let's get to a game uh, that we both enjoyed, and it was something we teased on Friday um, that we were excited to see. Mitchell Trubisky taking on Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. The Patriots, I mean, this was this was a very fun game, Lombardi. A lot of people coming after Mitchell Trubisky after this game, uh, despite his amazing ah. eight-yard touchdown run where he covered 71 yards, looking like uh, Mike Vick, Colin Kaepernick, all over the place, showing that athleticism that we have uh, talked about plenty of times on this program. The Patriots were able to prevail 38-31 despite a long Hail Mary toss at the end of the game. Kevin White just a yard short in this one. Uh, the Patriots, two special team touchdowns. Uh, Cordero Patterson was a, with a kickoff return. That was that was nice to see. And Calvin Noy with a return of a block punt also for the Patriots. Just looking at this game, Lombardi, we'll, we'll start with the Mitchell Trubisky side of things. A lot of people upset he missed a lot of throws in this one. It was back and forth. They had a chance to, to come down and win this game, though, in the end. Can you defend Mitchell at all? Can, can we say good things about his athleticism? No, I'm not. I'm not. You're, you're the, you represent Mitchell. Your law firm represents Mitchell's. Mine don't. I'm here to My agency, him, okay? yes. Uh, yeah, your agency represents him. Like everything I saw in that game was exactly. Belichick, the, the Patriots did a horrible job of pocket control. Everything he did was the reason why I don't like Trubisky. He doesn't have control of the football. He can't put it where he needs to put it. Missed a lot of throws. He is really athletic, and he can run with the ball. But God, is he bad trying to make pinpoint throws? And is he really bad making decisions? And it's not going to change. And I think just watching that game, and I know because I know a lot about the Patriots, the Patriots were never worried about him. They took away the running game. They put Gilmore on Robinson, and they said, you know what? Okay, here's what. let me see what you can do. Never worried about throws. Two interceptions. A lot of the yards, you look at the stats and say, well, he wasn't that bad. Well, he got a huge chunk of yards at the end of the first half. And then he's down 38 to 24. And all of a sudden, he starts getting a bunch of yards. I mean, time out. Time out. It, that game, the Patriots were never worried about losing that game. Whether they were down 17-7, to whether they were down 24-7. to They were never worried about losing that game. They were never worried about losing that game. They were always going to be able to move the ball in that game. And, and to me, if I'm a Bear fan, I don't want to hear it. But Trubisky, you can talk about he needs more reps. He is what he is because that's why he was at North Carolina when he started 13 games. The game's too big for him, and when it gets bigger, it becomes harder. Look, I mean, he's going to have to beat a good team, and they're not even a good defense. I mean, the Patriots aren't a great defense, but they knew what to take away from him. The only thing they didn't do was control the rush. 
And it got in a situation in this game, too, where it, it was completely a shootout. Um, and Trubisky, like you mentioned, had some of those open throws that didn't quite go through. But but can you not be excited as a Bears fan just that you have? I mean, this isn't a Blake Bortles athlete. This is a Mitchell Trubisky is a real athlete. I mean, a guy that when you watch him he run, you think well, he maybe is. he could play wide receiver or something. You know what I mean? So it, there is some it, it kind of like he's like Kaepernick in a certain way. I mean, you're obviously handicapped by the fact that he can't deliver the ball down the field like a like a breeze or or one of these guys throwing the deep ball, but you also have this extra layer of defenses have to have a contain on him. They have to keep a spy on him in some capacity because he does have the legs, but but is that too one-dimensional, especially with this Bears defense yeah, kind of reeling? I think it is, and I think the more he, the more he plays taste phrase, the more it's going to become apparent, like what happened with Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. And like then those throws, the I mean, throws a lot of bounds. I mean, he's throwing the fucking ball out of bounds sometimes. He's got guys open, he throws it out of bounds. He couldn't even, a receiver can't even make a play on the ball. You it's, know, yeah. I, and I think that's going to manifest himself. And then Matt Nagy, look, I like Matt Nagy, young coach. His quotes after the game, oh my God, I almost he has no, he doesn't know what the defense is running. He doesn't know the adjustment. He, he sometimes is confused when he's watching the. T- he's admitting all this, right? Like he's admitting all this. Like we're paying you five million dollars a year to be the head coach, and you don't even know what the calls are. You think he's going to pass my five question test? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't well, think let's start so. sending that test out. We're going to get that drawn up uh, for every week, and we'll see how many I, people I send it, it back. Yeah, I, I should probably post the five question test for every head coach. Send it back. They're not going to pass it. Of course they're not going. You think Matt Nagy knows the L four is on the on the on the, on the kickoff return team? Oh He's too busy. The opponent, he knows who's on his team. He's got to script out too many plays. We'll give him a break. We'll give Nagy a break. Of course, of course. I'm of still, course. I'm still buying in. Mitchell hasn't had enough starts. I think, he, I think he's going to find his footing. I like the athleticism, Lombardi. I do. That's because you're getting paid two fifty an hour. You know, <laughs> a high price lawyer defending Mitchell. You want to keep the case going. Yep, uh, no comment on that. I'll plead the fifth. Let's talk about another game uh, that was big this week and a lot of eyeballs. Uh, and a game that completely flipped after the first three quarters. And, um, of course, I'm talking about the defending champs uh, and the Carolina Panthers. Panthers were down 17-0 to heading in uh, to the fourth quarter. Um, but the, the, the next three possessions that they had, they come down, they score touchdowns. Cam Newton uh, had a nice, beautiful jump pass to, to Torrey Smith on fourth down when it looked like uh, all things were not going to go well for back-to-back weeks for Cam Newton. He said he believed in himself, put the cape back on, went in the booth, became Superman, and, and led the Panthers down. And and that defense, the Panthers' defense, that they obviously that is the starting point for everything good that they can do. Luke Keekley, 14 tackles on Sunday, uh, four of them for negative plays uh, against the Eagles. And and the Panthers, yet again, we talked about it on Friday. You mentioned on Friday the, the Eagles have struggled with this Panthers team. And although everything looked great for the first three quarters, they were not able to to get big enough uh, a big enough lead against this team. And and Cam Newton and those guys came back and made them pay. You know, I, I, it was a great game. I watched it. You know, I was at the I was at the uh, casino this weekend. I was at the Ocean Resort and Casino with a decent show doing it. And so I sat down there. A lot of Eagle fans in the book. You know, and uh, very everybody was upset because all the money was on the Bears. All the money was on the Bears. So when the when the Patriots won and covered, it was hilarious. Everybody was deflated. But this game was even more so because this game was, you know. It was so dominant by the Eagles. I mean, the Panthers couldn't do anything, really. I mean, they had a lot of drops. Eagles defense was putting pressure on Cam pretty much the whole game. And then the third quarter, you know, they scored to make it 17 to nothing. And then all of a sudden, Eagles only convert one third down in the fourth quarter. And, you know, they got a penalty. They got pushed back. And then when they got the ball, it made it when it was 17 to 14, they go three and out. They try to run the ball, don't get anything, try to screen, don't get anything. And then Bradbury makes a great play on a seven cut. And all of a sudden, the Panthers come right down the field and, you know, it takes them four downs to get the one first down, but then it was over with. And, 
And then the Eagles have a chance to come right back in the game, and you think, oh, my gosh. But Wentz just made some decisions on that last drive in the red zone, and this is really the essence of the Eagles' season right now, is he made decisions in the red zone that hurt him. He's got the flat open over for a first down if he just takes it, doesn't take it. You know, he's got the in, in cut on the fourth down play. If he throws it early, he's going to be a first down at the one or two, and they're going to try to win the game, and he doesn't take it. The Eagles last year were 51% on third downs in the red zone. It's remarkable. They were third in the NFL, really good. This year, they're 31st in the NFL. They're 21% on third down. They've only converted four third downs in the red area out of 19 attempts. That's the essence of their season, Kate Frazier, and that's where they've not been able to do it, and I think that that's the big issue. And then they can't really get control of the run game. They miss Sproles. They miss Blunt badly. Mm-hmm. And Blunt ran hard against uh, against Miami. He, you know, like I said on the podcast, he's bigger than the linebackers from Miami. He ran harder than them, and so they miss them. And I think, to me, what Peterson did after the game was ingenious in the sense is he, he, he don't like coaching as the lead dog, right? You know, you know, when you're the champ, you're the champ, right? You're the champ until February. Mm-hmm. So somebody dethrones you. He don't want to be the champ no more. He wants to be the underdog. He loved coaching that underdog role until he flipped it after the press conference. You can't wear the underdog mask if you are the top dog. I guess, well, I guess they're both dogs. You, so maybe can't. you can. Can you, Kate Frazier? <laughs> maybe you can. I mean, they're both dog. Top dog, underdog. I don't know. Maybe it works. Well, it's Halloween this week. I mean, it's Halloween. I'm going to go out with Dominic for Halloween. I'm going to dress up. Maybe I'll be an underdog. I don't know. You'd be Scooby you know, Doo or something. I'm going to go out there. There you huh? go. You'd be Scooby Doo. Uh, maybe that's what I should do. I think, I think Dominic's going to be you know, Super Mario. I think that's what he's going to be. So I don't know. Whatever's going to be. But I'll tell you one thing, we're going to the houses that have big candy. We ain't going to the houses that hand up pint size. We're going to, and if there's a house that have big candy, we're showing up three times. Okay. We're coming back three times for the big candy. Well, that's say, a rule. That's it, a rule. Ask for three of the little small Snickers bars if that's all they have because that equals a No, no. Run. I'm going for the big baby Ruth <laughs> bars. You gotta, if, that, if they're giving out baby Ruth, we're going to hit that anyway. So back, back to the game. So I think what Pearson's saying is, like, you know, I can't coach this way. And mm-hmm. it's a problem. And I think, to me, he wants to use the underdog motivation, and I don't know if that's going to go over. And I think one thing that we pointed out last year a lot with this Eagles team was they always played left-handed. Or, or they, they would always do things that kind of kept you on your heels. And uh, and I think Wentz, you, you mentioned some of those opens. Sometimes they're just not even – it does. It seems like they're still leaning into trying to be different and trying to be – trying to make the, the tough play instead of the right play or the easy play. And and I don't know how much that is, is trickled down from the top or just trying to fall in line with what they did last year. But but things haven't quite bounced their way so far. And maybe if they're able to clean that up and they watch the tape and Peterson's like, hey, Carson, you just got to make this throw in the flat here. This is easy. You just got to make a quick decision here. This yeah. is easy. You see it. We see it. I know what you're trying to do. I, I know what we have done before, but but just take the easy play for now and, and we'll work our way back. And it, it does feel like that Eagles team, especially uh, going into this next week, they, they have a chance to kind of right the ship a little bit. Yeah, I, I think this. I think Wentz is in 100%. I think sometimes his, you know, he, the ball tends to sail on like a throw on the goal line that Eric mm-hmm. Reed, I thought was an interception that they over, that ruled it, then they overturned it. Uh, the ball tends to fail on him sometimes. I think he doesn't get really old, drive the ball. He didn't throw very many incompletions. So, look, the guy's still an effective player. The guy gets the shit kicked out of him. Though. The Eagles don't do something with their protections. I said it last year. He's going to get hurt. Uh, you know, their protections, people attack them, and they do it. Which leads us to the next game, Dave Fraser, mm. which is the London game, Jacksonville and the, the Eagles. This will be a dandy. Because you, know you know who's undefeated in London, Dave Fraser? Bortles, he's the oh. king of London. We 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 love Blake Bortles in London. Everyone in everyone in England loves Blake Bortles. But he's going over there to take on the Eagles. This is basically a home game for the Jaguars. They're London's team. 
And I agree. I think there's a chance because you just got announced, right? Bortles will start. Kessler will not start this game. Bortles will start. So we have a shot. But we- it's on a short leash. It's on yes. a short leash. Here's the real issue, Tate Frazier. It's, you know, and I, and I wrote about this in the athletic. I, what I'm surprised, though, isn't the fact that, that, that Bortles got I'm not surprised. I'm shocked that two really good football people, Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin, have bought into the Blake Bortles thing. I'm really surprised by that. I'm almost like it's it's astounding. Like to me, football people that study the game and work on it know Blake's. Everybody in the league knows it. It's pretty common knowledge. You can have fans that think Blake's going to turn the corner, just like people think Trubisky will and all that. <laughs> That's great. That's what fans do. But people that know the league know Blake's going to have a hard time turning the corner. That's just after all of these years, he's not. And I'm shocked that Coughlin bought it. I'm shocked that Marone's bought it. I'm shocked that somebody wasn't down there screaming. You know, we need a quarterback. I get David Caldwell buys it. He's vested in this thing. Completely vested. He can't see it for anything. He thinks Blake's the greatest player because he picked him first in the draft. Mm-hmm. He refuses to admit it. It's the same thing that's going to happen to the 76ers for Markel Fultz. They're going to completely go down this road that Fultz is turning the corner. Fultz is good. He's going to be the albatross across their neck. And that's what Blake is. That's what it is. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. But what's happened now, it's one thing when Blake's on a rookie contract. It's another thing when Blake, you give him fifty-four million and twenty-six and a half of a guarantee, because some of those guys in the locker room are saying that was my money, man. That's my money. You just gave that asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I want my money. And we but saw you got to pay me. You got to pay me. And we saw after the game, Jalen Ramsey, uh, he didn't really mince his words this time. He said, "You can see it. We all see it. There's a lot going on down here. There's a lot happening. I'm not going to specifically talk about it, but you can see it. You know, there's a lot going on. This is not our team. This there, there's there's a lot of problems with this team. The reason Coughlin said they weren't willing to trade, there was a rumors that Eli could be a guy they decide before uh, week eight hits. He said the offensive line is not shored up. We need someone that can be mobile and get away from pressure. Obviously, Blake is more mobile than Eli by by a long shot. There's at this no point. doubt. Look, look. As much as I attack Blake, whoever they get, their line sucks. Their line's not very good, but they can do some things. I mean, just think about this, Tate Frazier. It's amazing how narratives never really get changed, okay? And, and we kill the Giants for not drafting Donald or not drafting a quarterback. But how about, could you imagine Patrick Mahomes on the Jaguars? You know, and I say that, and, I, and if I were at the Jaguars, I would have picked Deshaun Watson. So I admit that, you know, I love Deshaun Watson more than I love Mahomes. I thought Deshaun Watson was everything you want in a star quarterback. Obviously, Mahomes has so far has looked better than him. But they're both really good. So I don't think you could have missed either one. The way you missed is by not picking one. And Fournette's a really good player. But like we're seeing with Barkley, Fournette's not going to change the game. Now, they need Fournette because he takes the pressure off of Bortles. Right? They need him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Carlos Hyde will this week because they traded for him. But the reality of it is, is, again, once again, they're not being honest with themselves. And they seem to think that if they do bring in, they'd make the trade for Carlos Hyde with the Browns. Obviously, uh, Fournette, they're hoping to get back from injury. And and I heard Coughlin say that the, basically the plan is to do what we've done before to win. We need to have a running game that can solidify itself, help us help us with time of possession, and let our defense help win games. And right now we don't have that because we don't have Fournette. And now we're bringing in Hyde, and hopefully, you know, they cut Jamal Charles. They're hoping they can they can really build out that run game and try to find that formula again. But but they are behind the eight ball at this point. I mean, Houston now is first place. Uh, they're four and three after starting zero and three. Now they're first place well, in the AFC South. They've lost two home games to they've lost two home games to the division rivals. They lost to Tennessee and they lost to Houston at home. And we know they're not a good road team. They're thirteen and ten over the last twenty three games. See what happens is we sometimes just anoint teams in the media and through our perceptions. And I did the same thing. I thought Jacksonville was way better. But you don't. You're not great when you go out to San Francisco and lose to that outfit out there. 
I know Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback, but San Francisco really got him. And we know Blake's going to turn, okay, turn the ball over way too much. You know, Blake can't wait. He's had 29 fumbles in his career. He's lost 14 of them. So, you know, he loves to fumble. There's no way he's very gracious to give you the ball here. Please have it. Thank you very much. You know, it's like, come on. At some point, it starts and ends with the quarterback. If you can't get that position right, you're not going to. And that guy's in the locker room, Jalen Ramsey, those guys down there, they know it. Mm-hmm. They know it. You can't put lipstick on a pig and make him pretty. And I'll give a little spin zone here for the Blake Bortles facts fans. Uh, this was his first inter- interception-free game since week three. So congratulations. That's so Way to go, Blake. always have those little nuggets that always make it so much better. <laughs> you know, like that's going to make, you know, I'm sure driving home after that loss, well, at least Blake didn't throw an interception. Well, that made it feel good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break here, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about uh, some of the bigger narratives in football, and then we're going to do our awards for Week 7. And a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Guys, you've heard me talking about this for weeks, yet some of you are still watching football from the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, MyBookie gives you the chance to create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you'll turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. We got the World Series, NHL hockey, NBA, primetime fights, football, of course. My bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to join now because they'll be putting that offer away soon. Log on to my bookie right now and double your money. Use promo code RINGERNFL and they'll match your first deposit 100%. That's promo code RINGERNFL. You play, you win, you get paid. Back to GM Street. All right, and we are back. Uh, We do this every single week. We talk about some of the bigger narratives that are coming out in the world. Uh, Two of the biggest teams, and we've talked about it uh, so far on this program plenty of times, uh, maybe maybe not even enough at this point, but uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Rams. We'll get to the Rams later. First, I want to talk about Sunday Night Football and, uh, and what we saw from that Chiefs team. So Pat Mahomes comes out. Um, the defense really, they, they probably had their best performance of the season. They, they hold a season low, 239 yards, 10 points to the Bengals. Mahomes throws for 358 yards, four touchdowns, and they route the Bengals 45 to 10. The Bengals, again, 0-6 Sunday Night Football. That is not a place they like to play uh, since Andy Dalton and A.J. Green have teamed up in 2011. So uh, those are the basis for what we saw. But talking about that Chiefs team and, and what we've seen from Mahomes, and obviously there's a lot of people talking about MVP chatter for him at this point, but, but the Chiefs look like a legitimate threat across the board. And and the Bengals are, as you've described them, a really good team, not a great team. So to do that to a really good team on Sunday Night Football in primetime was, you know, pretty good PR if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Yeah, I think what people really don't understand about the Chiefs is they're really good in the kicking game. And so as good as they are on offense, they're really good in the kicking game. And then they really are good at scoring points. I think they've scored now 42 points on their first drive out of 49 possible points. I mean, that's really remarkable. So their first drive, they, they don't get field goals, they get touchdowns. And so, you know, they play from in front. They're really, they're good on third down defense, even though they stink on defense. Okay, so let's just break down the situations. They're really good on third down defense, so they can get off the field, they get the ball back to their offense. They can run the ball, they can, they, they can run the ball at you. They can throw it down the field, they can throw a control passing game, they can beat you with a lot of different weapons. And then their kicking game's really, really good. And you've got to beat them in the kicking game. You've got to be able to cover kicks against them. You've got to be able to, to handle their punt return game. They can control field position with you. So they're good in two of the three areas. And then the front has some game situational elements that are good. 
I think they're a hard team to play. And then add into it, which is why I thought Cincinnati had no chance to cover the spread or no chance to be competitive. Add the crowd noise into the Cincinnati's offense, which they can't hear. They can't get their running game going. And then Andy plays the tempo of the game so well that, you know, he scores points. I mean, look, you know, of course, we never talked about it on Monday, on Sunday Night Football, but, you know, what they did at the end of the half, they make the 24, you know, the game's over. And so now you're trying to catch up on the road with crowd noise and you got to throw it 50 times. You've got no chance. You have no chance. So, you know, I think Reed's the coach of the year, and I think Mahomes is clearly right now the favorite to be the MVP, without a doubt. And I thought that you would like this stat, so the Chiefs actually put this out. Sunday was the first game since 2000 that the Chiefs did not punt in a game. So that just says something about the power and like how dynamic this offense is under Andy Reid this year with Mahomes. And it, it's almost like we've taken the safety off. You know, what Alex Smith taught Mahomes how to be a pro last year. That was nice. Everyone was very excited about that. But now that Mahomes is coming, he's revving up the engine and they look, I mean, even Hunt is a guy that seems almost forgotten at times with this team. You know, we talk about Hill and all these other guys and, and, and Hunt has this amazing game and you forget, you know, they have this, this great running back who can also do a lot of things in the passing game as well. Right, and weather's not going to factor them. Weather's not going to bug them. They're good in the kicking game, and so weather's going to not really bug them. They're not like they don't need they don't need perfect carpet to play fast. Hunt can power you, and they can play with some physicality, and they do it by formations. They do it by scheme. So they're so good, you know. I mean, look, the Rams are the same way. When you take all the window dressing off the Rams, you know they come down to running the football, play action pass, and get it down the field, mm-hmm. and. You're going to have to hold them. You're going to have to play really well. You get 12 series in the game. You got to play really good for eight of those series because they're going to get to get, the game's going to be in the 20s. They're not. You're not going to hold them very often to 17, 20 points. The game's going to be in the 20s. So you got to figure out how you get that game into the how you get 20 points, how you limit your possessions against them, and how they limit that what they do. So you know, to me, again, I keep saying this on GM Street offensive football is where teams are today. That's why the Saints are so good. That's why the Rams are so good. That's why the Chiefs are so good. And that's why the Patriots are so good. And let's talk about the Rams. So the Rams moved to 7-0. A very quiet bid uh, for a perfect season is is slowly happening uh, behind the scenes with this Rams team. Somehow, I don't feel like it's become to the forefront yet, but maybe it will. They went 39-10 this week. They beat the 49ers, of course. A, a game that we were, you know, we, you thought on Friday and we kind of talked through it. Uh, maybe I'm an they, idiot. I wish someone well, had called me an idiot before. No, we, we, I mean, I, we just thought idiot. that maybe... I, mean, I hate the 49ers. Yeah. Team. We thought they could I slip up. Mickey, myself, says to me, Dad, you hate the 49ers team. Why would you? Why would you do that? And I'm like, because I'm, you know, like I thought. I thought they would keep it close. You know, I hate the 49ers defense. I hate the defense. <laughs> like their defense is everything that I don't stand for. It's roll. It's it's battleship football. It's gas, gas. Oh, we hit gas, gas. Oh, we hit gas, gas. Oh, we get up 28 points. I keep having faith that they can run the ball. And then I look at C.J. Beathard. You know, there's a great story about Coach Knight, Bob Knight. He was getting ready. You'll appreciate this. He was getting ready to play LSU when they had Shaq. Uh, when they had Shaq, and they asked Coach Knight, they said, uh, "Coach, I mean, look at LSU. They got all this talent, and how are they going to do it?" And then apparently, Coach Knight said, "You know, I look at LSU and I see all that talent. And I wonder." And then I look at Dale Brown and I know everything's going to be okay. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of the way I feel about the you know the Forty ers I, I think Kyle's going to make them better. And then I look at C.J. Beathard, and I know I shouldn't look better than that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's ridiculous. C.J. Beathard's a great, tough kid. He's just not an NFL starting quarterback. Can C.J. Beathard be the, the bad equalizer instead of the great equalizer? Yeah, that's what he is. <laughs> I mean, 
turns the ball over, thinks he's better than he is, out to prove something, doesn't play within himself. Look, I I think the 49ers will at least, they're going to get a high draft pick. You know, they're going to get a high draft pick, and, you know, they've already had one, Solomon Thomas. I can't find him. He, he must be on the, in the FBI's database in America's Most Wanted because I can't find him make a play on the tape. He may be you on know, the Buster lamb. Does, you know, arms. Yeah, he's on the lamb. I mean, the whole 49 team belongs on the lamb. Let's be real honest. I mean, them, they're playing the Cardinals this week. I wonder what that viewership is going to be like. I mean, how would you like to be the TV announcer for that game? Oh, my God. That is going you know, to be quite a. Def- that? I mean, that, that's going to be quite a defensive showdown, right? With those two teams playing each other. Yeah, and, and if I pick the Niners because I think the Niners will beat the Cardinals, just tell me I'm an idiot, and then we'll move on to the next game. Ignore uh, anything I say about the 49ers. We'll keep an eye on that for sure. I want to mention quickly just about Todd Gurley. He is uh, on the verge of possibly history, just based on the pace of how he's scoring touchdowns right now. He has NFL, NFL high 14. Uh, that would get him to 32, which would break uh, Ladanian Tomlinson, not LT, Ladanian Tomlinson's uh, single season single season record that he set in 2006 with 31. Uh, Aaron Donald seems to be a guy that has bounced back uh, after we talked about it in the first couple of weeks. He seemed to... Uh, he killed Tomlinson. He yes. killed the first round pick of the Lions. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, the 49ers extended. You know, I mean, it's a joke. Speaking of the Lions, take first, I'm going to take a moment here. You know, my man, Matt Millen, I love Matt Millen. Spent a lot of time with Matt Millen at NFL Films. Uh, he would come down, we would watch tape. Matt's a wonderful man. I think Matt got in a situation in Detroit that he, that he admits it. He wasn't ready for it. He did, and he admits he didn't do a very good job. And I think he needed some people around him to help him. That being said, Matt Millen is a human being, one of the greatest human beings I've been around in my life. Mm. Love the guy. Uh, he's, he's in Mayo Clinic. He's, he's here to get a heart transplant. Uh, he's had this infection that's been going around and around for the last couple of years. I just wish him well. Hopefully that'll come through for him. He's in my prayers. And he's in my thoughts. And that's a, that's a nice note there. And, and one thing to point out about the Lions, I mean, if you are a Detroit fan right now, you have to have a little bit of excitement just for the fact that the run game seems to be in the right place with on Johnson goes for 158 in that win against Miami. Um, a, a team that has struggled finding a running back for goodness knows how long. I mean, back to, you know, you can remember drafting Javid Best and, you know, Abdullah, all these different guys that have, they've tried to to bring in to be uh, the, that run game for him. It looks like Carrion Johnson could could hopefully help them out. Um, and, and we'll see what happens there. So that, that's something to keep an eye on with the Lions. One more thing I want to bring up uh, before we move on to awards for the week is just Adam Thielen and what he's doing uh, as far as history. Same, sort of same thing with Gurley. I mean, what these guys are up to. Talk about offense and the explosion in football. Um, he's had over 100 receiving yards in seven consecutive games to start the season. That was uh, an NFL record tied with Charlie Hennigan. Anytime you're bringing up Charlie Hennigan in, in something you're doing in football, uh, you're doing all right. And uh, if he does it again this week, he will tie uh, Megatron, Calvin Johnson's mark uh, that for for 100 yard receiving games at any point in a career with with eight straight. So uh, just Minnesota, that team, they go in and, and take on the Jets. And Kirk Cousins has a great game. Thielen again uh, dominates. And Minnesota looks like a team that, uh, that they're sort of figuring it out as, as we move along this season. Yeah, the Jets weren't able to play in the game because, look, the, the Vikings going into the game only allowed three first downs to be converted in the last two weeks. You know, Wentz only converted two and Arizona converted one. This week, the, 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 the Jets just converted two. And for a young quarterback against Mike Zimmer, it's really not a good matchup. Like, you just, you, you, you have to play Canadian football and, you, and you're not good enough to do it. And so the Vikings defense is coming around. I think they're getting faster. Daniel Hunter's playing really well. I think they're getting more confidence. And I think losing to Buffalo at home might have been the best thing for them. And this week will be a huge test where they are defensively because, you know, the true test maker, the Saints offense, is coming to town to see where they are. They've played the Rams already. They gave up a lot of points to the Rams. I think they gave up 38 to the Rams. So we're going to see where they are. they got the home field advantage, which certainly helps them. 
But I, going back to Thiel and Frazier, I love the story. I love the kid. I love the fact that he proved all of us scouting wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you evaluate receivers, I think Thielen is a great lesson to learn that balance is really important. Yes. Obviously, a receiver has to catch the ball. But to catch the ball, you always got to be in balance. And his quickness at the top of his round is really good. He may not run a four four forty, and who cares if he does? But his, in and out of his cuts, he's really good. And his body control at the top of the route is really good because corners can't read. If his arms, when you watch a receiver and the arms are always flapping, running around, the corners know he's getting ready to cut because he's trying to slow himself down. You know, the chalk kid from LSU, he's such a straight-line speed guy. When he tries to run a route that's not a vertical route, you know, you, he gives it away because he can't really control his body, doesn't have great balance. And I think that's the issue here. Dealing's so good at it. Dealing is what every scout in the league should do is watch tape and cut-ups on Thielen. Mm-hmm. And that'll teach you the essence of what truly is a great receiver in the NFL. It's body control. Body control and route running. Body those, control. Are, those are the two things that uh, Thielen does really well. It, it, it's it, like rebounding. Like Barkley led the league in rebounding at 6'4.5 in the NBA because he's always in position to get the rebound. He's, his balance was so good. Yeah, Antis- you know, anticipation and balance. Some guys that are 6'11", they're just on one leg. Because... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't do the fundamentals when you can do it easily. You know what I mean? But when you know that's going to be the difference, sometimes you work harder, and and uh, that's yep. that's the difference in how you play. Let's get to awards for the week for Week 7. This is, uh, of course, something that we love to do here. Um, the first award, uh, time to go in the lamb. You teased it a little earlier um, for, for a couple. Solomon Thomas and the whole 49ers team should probably go in no, the lamb. 49ers. <laughs> I, like, I, I think Kyle Shanahan's in a tough spot. I know they got a bunch of guys hurt. I think he's got to reevaluate where he is organizationally. After two years, this is not where he needs to be. He's got to improve his talent base. I think he's got to look as one of his friends, defensive coordinator. He need an elder statesman in that room with experience to help him. John Lynch doesn't know his job. He's never done the same job before. You know, he doesn't have that. I mean, they need some. They need some people with experience in their in their business. They need it on defense more. I think that's the advantage Sean McVay has by having Wade there. Huge advantage. Is there- but I think they need to go in the lamb. Is, is there a chance a guy like a Bill Polian type guy would, would go to to take a job like that as a consultant and sort of like a Jerry, what Jerry Kyle's West got does? The best guy and his, he's yeah. got his dad sitting there. His dad just come in and help him. Yeah, or his dad should just go help run the defense or something because they're just not good enough and their talent evaluation is off. I would love to see uh, the Shanahan's uh, reunite on the West Coast. We can see us. We will see if that's possible. No doubt. Next up, we have the Fred Palermo Award uh, for the best prep for the week, and and you have the Detroit Lions with this one. I love the Lions. Johnson was good. I love the Lions going in this game, even though the Dolphins were eight and two with temperatures above eighty-one degrees. I, I never trusted the the, the the heist to make plays two weeks in a row. I mean, that was a gimme putt there. And the Lions just Stafford can move the ball. The Lions, everybody hangs on to the to the Dolphins. DVOA this, DVOA that. Like, watch the tape. The Lions, the, the, the Dolphins aren't any good. Just watch the freaking tape. Like, I don't know what their numbers are. I mean, they were number two in the league in DBOA in week two of the season. Okay, now look, I know things even out, but nobody, nobody that plays Miami thinks Miami's any good. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and Miami's not good enough on defense. They're not good enough in their scheme and offensively. It's all just a bunch of long handoffs. They're trying to manage the quarterback. And so, you know, the thing I really was happy about Miami this week is they finally, you know, they they ripped me again for saying that Devontae Parker was available. Oh, Lombardi's poor city. He's not available, and of course. Now everybody knows he's available. It's open. But I get no Again. apology, Senator. I got no apology. This committee owes me apology, Senator. That's you what know I that need. From, no, what's that from? 
That's from the Godfather when oh, they uh, when they when, when, when Frank Pantanzi left. Yeah, that, yeah. that checks out. I I wish you were here in person so I could see the real you know the acting that went behind that. And then I really really got it. I can over do the, that scene. Over the, I, I, over I the phone, that. it's not enough. You know what made me think of that scene last night when they kept showing Peyton Manning in the box? Yes. It was almost like he was he was. Frank Pantangeli's brother when he comes to the courtroom. <laughs> yeah. Because now everybody won't say a bad word about <laughs> Everyone's Eli. scared. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> everyone tightens up. Yeah. You know? no, no one's talking yeah, at that everybody point. Everybody tightens up. <laughs> there. So, like, nobody wants to say a bad word about Eli because Peyton's there. You know, Vito Pantangeli's in the audience. Like, nobody wants to, you know, okay. That's funny how that works. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe that's smart. Maybe Eli asked him to do that. You know, give him some help. Those nationwide commercials exactly. aren't enough. I think so. Not, a, not enough camera time for Peyton always. The next up that we have, we have the KGB award. Uh, who'd you have for this one, Lombardi? Carolina. I mean, Carolina stuck up on Philly. I mean, everybody, everybody, nobody gave Carolina a chance in this game. And they, and they did. I, I think that, you know, they played 60 minutes and they played well. I love this one guy on Twitter was ripping us take Fraser. He's like, oh, I listen to Lombardi. And do, uh, did you see this tweet? Like, I listen to you two guys. Nice call on the, on, on Carolina's defense. And then I rub him back and said, excuse me? Like, really? Like, you know, I love it. But we're not always going to be right. But, I mean, like, in the, in the second quarter, don't rip my ass. Like, wait till after at least the game's over to rip my ass, okay? Well, so I saw it after the game was over, so I thought the guy was actually giving us a, a legitimate conf, uh, compliment, but I figured out it was sarcasm once I, I saw the timestamp. Yeah. So uh, all you got to do is yeah. give a nice little like, and, you know, it, it'll all it'll all work itself out in the end. We don't we don't know how things will work out, but I was very happy to see Cameron Newton and the Panthers uh, make it happen. Because, I knew you were. Yeah, a lot, you were. a lot of people were coming after Cameron, as always. Whenever they lose uh, in a close game, people start throwing shots at Cameron and I'm glad he delivered. Uh, they dressed really well. I love the outfit after the game. I love the outfit after the game. Really classy. Always, really looked good. Always, always dripping sauce, that man, Cam Newton. Final one for the week. If you don't know, now you know. Lombardi, what do we know? The Saints are for real. You go into Baltimore, you beat Baltimore in there, you're for real. I mean, you're, they're for real. They're going to be in this to the end. They're going to be a tough out. They're good in the offensive line. They're all over the place. I mean, it'll be a tough game up in Minnesota. But, you know, the, the, you know Tampa's not any good, even though they beat Tampa. Atlanta stinks. Carolina's going to be a tough out for them, but I think they're really good. They beat Carolina in Carolina, so I, I love the Saints. I love what they're doing. I think they got, they're got they all in. I think Sean's a great coach. I think you can definitely see the coaching matters in this league, and I think there's that's why there's such disparity in everything. I think Sean Payton, Drew Brees, the entire Saints organization, they, they have put the league on alert that they have put all their chips on the table. They are all in. They are win now. They're all in. They believe that they have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I mean, we heard the comments last year after they lost uh, on the Hail Mary to Diggs. You know, they, they all said that they thought that they would have beaten the Eagles if they did get away in that game. And and we'll see what happens. I, I think it's a good sign uh, if you believe in Sean Payton and Drew Brees because they have been on another level so far this season. Now, quickly, before we get out of here, uh, we got week eight. The trade uh, block is coming up. A lot of rumors uh, still swirling that maybe even the Raiders will make some more room uh, with maybe Carl Joseph being a guy that they could trade out of there. You talked about Parker as a name that's been floated around. Uh, Demarius Thomas is another name with the Broncos that's, floated, that's been floated around. Uh, Patrick Peterson, uh, who I mentioned earlier, even though Wilk said that he would not trade Peterson him. Will. I think if somebody offers the Broncos something good for Demarius Thomas, I think they could. I mean, I think New England would, would have an interest because he would know New England system. Anybody from those Patriots, Josh McDaniels days, you know, at Denver would, you know, they've always liked Emmanuel Sanders. I'm sure if Denver loses this week in Kansas City, I think Monday will be a busy day in Denver. I think they'll start selling off assets if they can. You know, I think Denver's not a very talented team either. So, but I could see that. I could see that happen. I mean, look, some teams just need to strengthen. The Saints felt they needed a corner. 
You know, New England probably needs another receiver, perhaps a running back. I think the Eagles are going to be all over trying to get a running back. I know that, you know, they're talking about McCoy. McCoy's, I think Buffalo wants a two and a three for McCoy. That's not going to happen. But, you know, maybe Buffalo lowers their demands, and I think the Eagles will be in there for a running back somewhere if they can find one. So it'll be a good week, and we'll be able to talk more about it on Friday, and then on Tuesday next week we'll cover it. Absolutely. We'll keep an eye on all things uh, NFL trade talk, and, and there's a lot of rumors swirling about a lot of guys. So we'll see what happens there, and a lot of teams that are trying to contend. And when you see teams like the the Saints that are unafraid to make moves, that uh, there's usually a ripple effect there, and other teams will react to that, and, and we'll see what happens, especially on the uh, the AFC side of things. Um, this has been Week 7. This has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We will be back on Friday to give uh, Lombardi's li- li- uh, picks for the week and on Friday sit-down, and uh, we're excited to see what happens moving forward in Week 8. Lombardi, anything else before we get out of here? Are you, up, are you going to be too upset about the Sixers right now? I'm ready now? to go, Tay Frazier. I appreciate it. Thanks to everything. Happy, happy Halloween to everyone. Thanks, Tay Frazier. Absolutely. Happy Halloween to everyone, and we'll see you on Friday. From the creators of Grand Theft Auto V comes Red Dead Redemption 2, an epic story of honor and loyalty set in the dying days of America's outlaw era and told across the deepest and most expansive rock star world to date. Releasing for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on October 26, Red Dead Redemption 2 is available for pre-order today at rockstargames.com slash Red Dead Redemption 2. Rated M for Mature.